Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stephen R. Butler from the state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful that you're tuning into our radio broadcast this evening, this radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ, and we would ask that you would take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508, or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the live show there. There are over 1,500 live shows on Blog Talk Radio website at this hour, and you will find this show on page two tonight on the Blog Talk Radio website. If you have any questions or comments or any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B. Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, Get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're preparing now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-hosts, Robert Lee Johnson and Glenn McMillian on the show this evening as they break into our listeners, the bread of life. We pray that you will bless their families that support their efforts that they can make continue to sow the seed 
of the kingdom. While we pray that you will bless our listeners this evening who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul's salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And that we have been faithful until death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Our speakers for this evening in the first segment will be Robert Lee Johnson, who serves as evangelist with the New Horizon Church of Christ there in Lake City, Florida. He'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And there will be no shouted out question on the show this evening. And to close out the show, my co-host, Lynn McMillian. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. And he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ close out the show. So open up your Bibles now and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you hear be that of my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host glenn mcmillian and his subject the divinity of christ good evening welcome once again to the gospel light radio show we are uh coming back to this topic of the divinity of christ this will be the third uh lesson in this series which wasn't intended to be a three-part series, but it was made necessary uh, based on, uh, well, things I'm about to get into right now. Um, so originally, we, we brought this uh, conversation up because we were talking about uh, the development of a, a sudden spike in the religious world, specifically in the evangelical churches of people who no longer believe in the divinity of Christ. There's a, uh, a survey that was done uh, by a Lifeway uh, organization which showed that now a full 43% of evangelicals do not believe that Jesus is God. And that is a an interesting problem, it is, and, it's, and it's, it's puzzling because we consider that to be one of the basic foundational doctrines of Christianity. So we spent the first lesson figuring out why or what could have caused uh, such a, a development in the evangelical churches, and we, we talked about how uh, there are people who style themselves as preachers, style themselves as theologians, uh, style themselves as biblical scholars who do not believe in the Bible, at least not not the way that we do. And and they spend their time and their efforts uh, trying to not uh, establish what the Bible teaches, but to to, to undermine it. Uh, and we say that 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 was probably a a big factor in this, but also the fact that these things are not being taught. So uh, that because we figure that it's such a foundational issue, that it's such a basic doctrine of Christianity, we don't really spend enough time going over it because it's it's so basic. And so the second lesson, we went through the Gospel of John, and we step-by-step established using verses in the Gospel of John to show uh, that 
the Bible really teaches that Jesus is God. And so uh, having said what needed to be said there and just using that one book, um, I figured I would be done with this. But uh, I was um, given some information uh, that goes to to both of these challenges uh, that we're going to need to address tonight. So I was shown a a scholarly article by one of our, our listeners who showed us uh, who in in this article the assertion is made that uh, basically Paul invented Christianity um, and John was his for lack of a better term his hype man so we have a scholar a, a person who styles themselves as a theologian going, looking at the Bible text, the the biblical evidence, and instead of accepting what it says, is going out of his way to prove that Paul had an agenda of his own, that he's not really inspired, he's not really uh, a member, an apostle. He's he's somebody who's who's coming out of left field to create his own religion. Uh, And John either is convinced by this or is in in collusion with him, uh, going out of his way to uh, to create something that didn't exist before. And so the intent or, or the, the impact of that, whether or not it's the intent, is that you've done both things. You, you've undermined people's uh, credibility uh, or people's understanding of, of what the New Testament says. You have under, undermined the credibility of both Paul and John, which if, you, if you're counting, that is 18 out of the 27 books of the New Testament were written by either Paul or John. Uh, so that's a full two-thirds of the New Testament has now become unreliable based on this scholarly work by a person who calls themselves a theologian. So right there, automatically, we, we have we can see where this the problem is. Why why it is so important um, that we have a foundational understanding of these things? Because if you don't have a, a foundational understanding of what the Bible teaches, if you don't have a a rock solid belief in Scripture as a uh, as an authority, as opposed to other authorities in, who can come back and interpret Scripture. Uh, then we get into this situation where, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm in the, the church, but I can't. Is it? Can I really rely on any of these documents? When authorities, biblical scholars, people who spend their entire life studying these works, are now telling me that I can't trust uh, two thirds of the Bible, and we're not even going to get into. The, the the theories around the synoptic gospels, the fact that we don't even know who wrote Hebrews. If you, you play in this uh, in this field too long, basically you you end up where none of the New Testament uh, can be relied on, and then we wonder why we can't keep people in, in the church. 
So going back to the content of this article, the, the assertion that Paul created Christianity, that that, uh, that John is, is hyping up Paul's doctrine, is grounded in the fundamental uh, thesis. Jesus does not present himself nor is he recognized as God in the Synoptic Gospels. And because he does, he is not represented that way in the Synoptic Gospels, therefore these, these ideas of Jesus being God come later and are added uh, to the, whatever the, the Synoptic Gospels uh, laid out. Now, again, the, the point of that, other than, you know, you lose two-thirds of the New Testament, is that the established timeline and what most people believe in, in, in terms of how the Bible was written, the, gospel, the, the letters of Paul were actually written before not the gospel. So you already have a problem with timeline here. If, if, if you're saying that Paul came later and added these things to what the synoptic gospel said, um, you have to deal with the fact that the synoptic gospels were written after Paul's letters. Paul's letters were written uh, you know, depending on which letter you're talking about, between 40 and 60, uh, it's Mark was probably around around that time. The other synoptic gospels come around 60-ish, and then John comes comes later to to add supplementary information. So we already have a timeline issue in terms of this, this theory working, but. Let's, we'll put that aside for the sake of tonight. For the, for the sake of tonight, we're just going to deal with that fundamental thesis. Can you prove, just using the synoptic gospels, that Jesus is God? Because if you undermine that part of the theory, then we can reestablish the fact that Jesus is presented as God throughout the New Testament. There is no... Uh, disagreement within any of the texts uh, about Jesus' divine step. So let's begin. And again, we're going to be touching on a lot of scripture. I probably won't read most of them, but I will give you scripture references. You can do the research on your own. Um, so what is the first evidence that you see that Jesus is God in the Synoptic Gospels is that Jesus accepts worship throughout the Synoptic Gospels. And I'm going to give you a list of scriptures here. Matthew 8, 2, Matthew 9, 18, Matthew 14, 33, Matthew 15, 25, Matthew 20, 20, Matthew 28, 9, and 17, Mark 5, 6, 24, 52. In all of these verses, we see people worshiping, bowing down, and worshiping Jesus. Let's look at Mark. Uh, Matthew 14, 33, real quick, just so we can have an idea uh, of one of these uh, passages. Matthew 44, 33 says, And those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, art the Son of God. And I'm going to be quoting from the American Standard Version for most of tonight and and for reasons that will become obvious later. Um, 
So we see here in Matthew 44, 33, that the people who are in the boat with him, again, this is the story of Jesus calming uh, the sea after he walked on the water. Um, he says they, they saw him do this. They bowed down. They worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. They recognized who he was. They recognized his divinity as the son of God. They recognized that he was worthy of worship. And notably, Jesus does not refuse to be worshipped, nor does he correct them in any way in this passage or any of the other passages that we've written. Now, this word here that is, that is uh, translated as worship is the same word that is applied to, to God when, when he is the object of these types of sentences. Um, there is no difference. The only time you're going to see a difference is in the New World Translation, again, the favorite translation of our friends, the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, who, again, are the other primary uh, source of, uh, of people who are going to deny the divinity of Jesus. Um, here they translate the, that word uh, obeisance or something similar to that, um, but it's the same underlying word. They, they, they have to explain why there's an inconsistency in terms of how they're translating uh, when, it, when Jesus is the object versus when God is the object. Um, and that is a, a particular eisegesis that they're doing, allowing their, their doctrine to, to drive their translation as opposed to letting the text drive their doctrine. Um, so if you are ever in a conversation with them, uh, that's one thing that you can need to keep in mind. But we see here Jesus being worshipped, and again, Jesus does not uh, does not correct them, does not say that he's not God, does not say that he should not be worshipped. Uh, we see that angels, if Jesus were an angel, as the Jehovah's Witnesses used to claim, I don't think they make that claim anymore, but they used to claim that Jesus was Michael the Archangel. But angels don't accept worship. If, if you go to Revelation 2, Eight and nine, we'll see that angels don't accept worship. So to the angel, uh, sorry, Revelation twenty-two, eight and nine, excuse me. And it says, "I John, and he who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel that showed me these things. And he said to me, See that you do it not." I am a fellow servant, and with thee, and with thy brethren, the prophets, and with them that keep the words of this book, worship God. So again, John bows down to worship the angel. The angel does not accept worship. He says, I, I, that's not appropriate. Don't, don't worship me. Worship God. And if Jesus were a mere human, which, is, which apparently is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach now, that Jesus, Jesus was just human. Well, we know that humans are not worthy of worship. We go to Acts chapter 10. And verses 24 through 26. And it says that on the morrow, they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them, having called his kinsmen and his friends. And when it came to pass that Peter entered, Cornelius met them, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. 
But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also amazed. So, again, Cornelius bows down to worship Peter. Peter says, No, I'm a man. Don't worship me. Worship God. So if Jesus was just a man, he shouldn't be accepting worship. Even if Jesus was an angel, he shouldn't be accepting worship. But we see Jesus being worshipped, accepting worship, never never tries to correct anyone who worships him throughout the, the entire New Testament. And, and it's noteworthy to to see that this this is not a product of Jesus' teaching. He doesn't he didn't teach these people to recognize him as God, uh, specifically because we, we see that this this act of worshiping Jesus occurs before Jesus even begins his ministry. If we go to Matthew chapter two, verses one through twelve, we're familiar with this with this text. It's the, the three wise men. They see his star in the east and they have come to worship Jesus. They, they specifically said, we, we've come to find this king so that we can worship him. And they go to the house, and they worship him in the presence of Mary. And again, even Mary doesn't stop them from trying to worship her, her child because she knows, based on her interaction with the angel, with, based on the fact that this was a, a divine pregnancy, that there is a divine nature to this child. So it was understood that Jesus was with God by, by anyone who interacted uh, with him and with the, the uh, events surrounding him. Uh, they understood this. So we see Jesus worshiped as God in the Synoptic Gospels. That is not an invention of Paul that came, that was added. It's in the Synoptic Gospels. So why did these people understand that Jesus was God? How did they, they recognize? How did the men that came from the East, these wise men, understand that Jesus was God? Well, that brings us to our second point, that Jesus is revealed as being God, being Jehovah, through the fulfilled prophecy, and we can see this even in the Synoptic Gospels. If we go to Mark, uh, no, let's, let's start with Matthew 3. Verse 3, in the, the parallel of that passage, Mark 1, 3, and Luke 3, 4. I think we will understand uh, how this works when we go there. So Matthew 3, 3 says, For this is what was spoken of the prophet, or through the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make ye ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So right here we have Matthew quoting Isaiah, where he says that referring to Elijah, or sorry, referring to uh, John the Baptist as Elijah, that he is the voice crying out in the wilderness, make the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And he's saying that this is, is, is applied to Jesus. This, is, this prophecy was being fulfilled in John the Baptist talking about uh, the coming Messiah, and, and and that being Jesus Himself. So this is quite clear, and, and and you know, okay, we see this the Lord here. Well, the Lord is a little ambiguous, but so let's go back to what Isaiah actually says. And this this text actually comes from Isaiah forty 
verse 3. Get there. You might be faster in the text than I am. So Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, The voice of one that crieth, Prepare ye in the wilderness the way of Jehovah. Make level a desert and highway for our God. So in the Old Testament, in, in the verse that he's actually quoting, it is completely unambiguous. He uses the, the word Jehovah, the, 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 the tetragrammaton, the uh, the Yahweh that that is usually uh, translated Lord in most of our English translations. I, I'm using the American Standard Version because they actually use the word Jehovah uh, when that uh, when that word appears. So we can see in the text that this, he's saying prepare the way of Jehovah. So if you're in a conversation with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are, are people who make a big deal about the Tetragrammaton. Um, the American Standard Version is a, a good version to use if you don't want to use their Bible um, because it, it is explicit. When it, whenever Jehovah appears, it is written as Jehovah. And so this text uses the word Jehovah. He says, make, way, make ready the way of Jehovah. But when it's quoted in the New Testament, it's being applied to Jesus. So we can logically come to the conclusion that the name Jehovah applies to Jesus. The divine nature, the divine name applies to Jesus just as much as it applies to the Father. We have uh, even further example in, in the, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if we go to the Gospel of Mark, verses 1, 2, Mark adds a little bit to a little bit extra <laughs> to this to this verse again the same uh, context but he adds as this section in, in verse two uh, behold I send my messenger before thy face who will prepare thy way that actually doesn't come from Isaiah that comes from Malachi uh, chapter three verse one. which says, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant who you desire, behold, he cometh, saying, saith Jehovah of hosts. So again, Jehovah says, I am going to send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. And, and Mark is saying that this is fulfilled in John the Baptist who is talking about the coming of Jesus. So Jehovah, again, is being explicitly applied to Jesus from the Old Testament to the Synoptic Gospel. So we have that direct connection between God, the name of God, Jehovah, and Jesus in the New Testament, there you know we can go through Matthew. Matthew spends a lot of time showing Jesus fulfilling a bunch of uh, messianic prophecies, but in this case, proving that Jesus is the Messiah is not enough. We're trying to prove that Jesus is actually God. So I'm specifically choosing examples that are 
uh, applying the name, the divine name, to Jesus. So another one that we can we can pull out uh, quickly here is uh, in Psalm 8-2. So if we go to Psalm 8-2, we see, Out of the mouth of babes hast thou established strength, because thine adversaries, that thou mightst be, still be the mighty, are still that. So thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. So again, this is Jesus. Uh, we have David writing the psalm, and, and he is writing a psalm to God. Right? This is uh, our. So if we go back to verse one, it starts, "O Jehovah, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! Who has established glory in the heavens." Then out of the mouth of such and days thou hast established strength because of thine adversary. So this, this verse is addressed to Jehovah. And Jesus in Matthew uh, 21, verse 16, applies this verse to, to himself. So we go to Matthew 21, 16. And he, says, and he said unto him, uh, so the, the Pharisees, they said unto him, do you hear what these people are saying? Hearest thou what they are saying? Jesus saith unto them, yea, and did you ever read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings that, that thou hast perfected praise? So the, this is uh, in Jesus' triumphal entry into the, the city. The, the, the crowd is uh, praising Jesus, you saying uh, Hosanna. And again, and Hosanna means uh, God save us. So again, there is already an understanding of Jesus as God inherent in the language. But again, that, that, that connection might not be as clear. But when once the, the, the Pharisees challenge Jesus and say, you hear what the crowd is saying to you. Why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you silencing them? And Jesus says, haven't you read that, that, that what the Bible says about this? <laughs> what the scriptures prophesied that this is going to happen? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected grace. The, he's applying that verse, again, which we saw in, in the psalm, is addressed directly to Jehovah, to himself saying that this, this triumphal entry, this, this event was prophesied in Old Testament scripture, and he is the fulfillment of that. So again, we see the name Jehovah being directly applied to Jesus, the name of God being applied directly to Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. So he is claiming that, that, that connection. Uh, so it, it was not a something that, they, that was made up out of whole cloth and not coming out of nowhere. We see, see it out of Jesus' mouth. So we see that Jesus is being worshipped as God in the Synoptic Gospels. Jesus is being revealed as God through fulfilled prophecies in the Synoptic Gospels. But we also see Jesus claiming the authority of God in the Synoptic Gospels. So Let's, let's work a little bit backwards in terms of the timeline here. Um, the, the first time we see this, or actually, let's, 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 go, let's go in this way because I, I think this makes it more clear. 
we've seen this in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 5. We have the, uh, the incident of Jesus healing uh, the lame man when his, when his friends uh, bring him through the roof of the house. And, and what does Jesus say, say to him? Your, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the people who are around him, say, this, this, who's, this, who's this man who thinks that he can, can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Now, and Jesus understands them in his heart. So, number one, Jesus being able to read their minds, essentially, is what, what, as, as the, the text implies. That alone shows that he is more than just man, more than just uh, your average person, because he can perceive the, the thoughts of their hearts, which, again, is a, is a thing that God can do and, and only God can do according to uh, the Old Testament scriptures. Um, but he, he also says that he has the authority to forgive sins. He says, you know, so... You you believe that this is not something that I can do, but show, to show you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, and then he heals the, the, the lame man, and the lame man takes up his mat and, and walks away. Only God can forgive sins. I, the Son of Man, have the authority to forgive sins, and when I prove it, I use divine power to show you that I have the, that authority. If only God can forgive sins, and Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, the logical implication is Jesus must have a divine authority. Jesus must be divine Himself. But again, that that's not a, that that's not necessarily as clear. So let's move on to uh, Matthew 12, verse 8, Mark 2, verse 28, and Luke 6, verse 5. We have the the incident of Jesus and his apostles. They're they're going uh, down the road. They're hungry. They've been out preaching for and, and doing their work for for a lot long time. It's the Sabbath day. Uh, they're going through the fields, and, and the apostles break down and start picking uh, heads of grain so that they can they can eat and and, and fill their stomachs. And, of course, the Pharisees have a problem with this. They say, well, it's not lawful for you to do this type of work on the Sabbath. Uh, you should be saying something, doing something about it uh, to your to your, uh, to your followers. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 12, 8? Um, he says, uh, verse 7, he says, you know, the you – know, you know the story of David. David and his men, they ate the showbread, even though it was not lawful for them. So, And then verse 8, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So again, taking that title, Son of Man, Son of Man is already a loaded term uh, that comes from Daniel 12, and it has uh, connection to a divine figure anyway. Um, but Again, maybe that's not that clear. But to call himself the Lord of the Sabbath, well, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is 
a law of God. It's the, it's the fourth commandment of the, of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is claiming authority to make the rules about what the Sabbath is and how it works, uh, claiming authority over the fourth commandment. Now, if Jesus is not God, if he's just some guy, <laughs> a good man with, with, some, with some decent teachings, um, and he's claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath in a Jewish context, this is a very blasphemous thing. He is, he is saying that he has the authority to change or ignore or uh, interpret uh, one of the, the Ten Commandment laws on his own authority uh, without the, the counsel of these, these, these Pharisees, without uh, consulting them, without doing anything like that. Uh, he just so he claims that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he has he has dominion over this thing that God wrote down on stone and handed to to Moses and gave to the children of Israel. So he is claiming very directly to be equal or greater than God in this case. If he's not, <laughs> this is a very blasphemous thing. This, this, Jesus should not even be considered uh, a good teacher. He should be, you know, considered a nutcase and, and run out of uh, out of town uh, based on this, unless he's God. And this is not the first time we see this. If we go back to Matthew chapter five. And the the Beatitudes, right, and and the, the Sermon on the Mount, and we go through and look at what what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter five, starting at verse twenty one. I mean, in, in verse seventeen, he said, "I didn't come to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them." And again, that, that fulfills means to, to complete, to bring to their logical conclusion. Uh, but again, you might not understand that. Let's, let's move on to verse 21. You have heard it was, it was said to them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Where have you heard that? <laughs> Jesus is being very, very pointed here. You have heard it said, thou shalt not kill. That comes directly from, again, the Ten Commandments. And whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, we'll come back to that. Verse 27, you have said, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not kill, commit adultery. Where have we heard that said? Again, that is another one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, he that looketh on a woman with lust has committed adultery. This, again, you have heard it says, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say to you, 
swear not at all, neither by heaven or earth, for it is for heaven is for God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is the footstep of his feet. Of his feet. Again, that's not one of the same commandments, that, but that is in the law of Moses. All throughout this this chapter, five times, he said, "You have heard it said." One, two, three, three, one. Yeah, five times. He says, you have heard it said, something that is a, a core tenant ten of the law, either from the Ten Commandments or a well-known uh, passage from the law of Moses. And he responds, but I say, and then gives a new command in its place. But is a statement of contrast. Meaning, I'm going to give you a new authority. You, you've heard this was the old way of doing it. This, this was what the law is. This is the law as you know it. But I'm giving you a contrast. I'm going to replace that law. I'm going to replace that authority with a new. I say, inserting my authority based on my authority. So this this contrast, this change, is being based on my own authority. And this is what, is what it's going to be from here on out. Again, if Jesus is not God, the Sermon on the Mount is the most blasphemous thing that, that a Jewish teacher could ever do. But Jesus is claiming divine authority. He is setting aside the Ten Commandments themselves in order to establish his own law. If he's, if he's not God, he's claiming to be higher than God. Because only God could do that. Only God could change the law as it was established. Because God is the one that gave it to them. God wrote it down with his own hand on tablets of stone and gave it to, to Moses to give to them. And then this man comes along and says, you, yeah, you, you've heard that. That, that, was, that was nice. But I'm saying do this based on my authority. You can't say that Jesus is just a teacher, just a, a, a Jewish reformer, and he's doing this. If he wanted to do that, he would have said, and, and I say to you. you know, <laughs> if he said, and I say to you, that, that would say, that's the law, and I'm going to add on to it. I'm going to modify it. I'm going to give you a way to, uh, to, to do it better. He doesn't say and. He says but. That statement of contrast means I'm making a substitution here. This was the way it is. This is what the law says, but I'm going to give you something that's higher, that's better than what the law says. And going forward, when the law no longer is in place, that's going to be the new law that is in place. So Jesus doesn't have to come out and say, I am God. He's claiming the authority of God. He is claiming the ability to change the law of God. Uh, and he can't do that unless he is God or he is something higher than God. Uh, in which we know there's nothing higher than God. So we can see, even in the Synoptic Gospels, that 
Jesus is claiming divine authority, he is recognized as divine, he is prophesied as being the divine coming to, into uh, into the flesh. And that's, again, not, not to uh, mention some even smaller clues that we can include here, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, he, is, he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, a, a big clue <laughs> that that there's a, a divine nature to Jesus. Uh, the fact that when Pilate uh, asked him, you know, are you the king of the Jews? He says, if that's what you say, you know, it, you have said it, not me. Uh, the Jews had no king originally except for, for God himself. Um so, you know, they're, they're, those are small things. I, I've tried to pull out things that are the most explicit uh, um, evidences of Jesus' divinity that we can see throughout the, uh, the Synoptic Gospels. It, it's not a mystery as to how the church uh, ended up considering Jesus to be God. It, it was always understood from the beginning. And even though there's no explicit, uh, you know, in terms of Jesus going out and, and saying, I am God and here's why I am God, he, he didn't teach that thing, especially at the, the beginning of his ministry. He revealed it in, in multiple ways, and it has been further revealed uh, through the writings of the apostles that wrote these things down, the, the, the you know, uh, writers of the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, make these, this clear. John makes it clearer. Paul makes it clearer. The, the Bible works together as a whole. There's, there's no contradiction uh, between the books of the Bible. And, and people who are telling you that there is, people who claim to be authorities on Scripture and are telling you that they, there are these contradictions and, um, and all these problems with the text, are doing so with an agenda to, to undermine your faith, to undermine uh, the ability uh, of people to rely on the text of Scripture so that they can substitute their own ideas, their own uh, teachings, doctrines for what the Bible actually says. So the lesson is yours. I hope I hope that we have done enough to establish uh, what the Bible actually teaches here. The Bible shows definitively that Jesus is God, even in even if you hamstring uh, us and, and, and limit us only to the synoptic gospels, we can make this case. It is, it is very easy for us to do. Uh, we can see it in how Jesus carries himself and how uh, people respond to him and how Old Testament prophecies are shown to apply to him. He, he was God and he was recognized as God from the very beginning, and it was not a uh, a mystery or something that was uh, had to, to come generations later. It, the church was founded in AD 33 on the premise that Jesus was God, risen from the dead, uh, and that is the foundation of the entire Christian uh, faith. So. I hope that uh, that is clear. I hope that we, you've all uh, 
gotten something good out of this, and we will uh, continue to, to bring you these kinds of lessons as we progress on the Gospel Light radio show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. God's hand is amazing. Wipe your weeping eyes.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. This is a program reminder. Stevie B Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. Telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel bite radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting a live show, What a Word in the Lord radio show. And we have two shows on the second and third and the fourth Tuesday of the month. So that's actually three shows. I just picked up a new production uh, here under Water Word from the Lord Radio Show. So that shows those shows will air the second, third, and the fourth Tuesday of the month. The second Tuesday of the month we have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ. We'll be making the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Also on that show I have the community corner segment. That segment's for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our communities. I also have four co hosts on that show, Lou Gibbert, he's the evangelist for the Oberg Park Church of Christ in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, who serves the Church of Christ in Cary, North Carolina. And on the third Tuesday of the month, my co-host, this is a new production, Dr. Antherica Lane. She's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist. She serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And her show is entitled Conversations with Dr. Lane. And the fourth Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. My co-host Kelly Fletcher, she serves the Livingstone Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana, and she has the Kelly Fletcher Show. And then on Thursday evening, I'm hosting the live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. That show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. There are seven co-hosts on this show who will be making their proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. And each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook. I'll be posting to one of my co-hosts on that live show as well. And then on Friday night, I'll be hosting a live show with Stevie B's I Fellow Gospel Music Blast radio show. And this radio show was the recipient for the 2022 NACAMA National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement for Record or Radio. And the time this show will air from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this radio show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. 
And we're also interviewing artists, producers, comedians, etc. And we're debuting new music and featuring old music on this broadcast as well. Every third Friday of the month, I have my top 20 countdown show. And we also have our on-demand episodes. And there are just a variety of musical platforms you can listen to these shows on. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. Just search for Stevie B Media Productions. We also have recorded version shows. These shows were album debuts mostly from the same playlist that we use on the live show here on Blog Talk Radio. And these recorded version shows will be heard on iHeartRadio, Deezer, Amazon Music. And just search for Stevie B Recorded Version Shows. We also want to thank all of our sponsors who sponsor these radio shows. If you want to be a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Steve B's Music Production it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I don't know why my storm seems so tough at times. And I don't even know why I feel I'm losing my mind. And yet I know he's always there for me. And still I know he'll always care for me and more I know.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, and his subject, Are You Fit for the Kingdom of God? Thank you, sir. I'd like to welcome you to the uh, Gospel Light Radio Ministry. This is Evangelist Robert Lee Johnson, Sr. of the New Horizon Church of Christ, located here uh, in the beautiful city of um, um, Lake City, Florida. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to preach the Word of God, and it's a burden that we uh, enjoy uh, being able to um, to share, and it's uh, an opportunity that we just consider so precious. I uh, appreciate the lesson by Brother Glenn, uh, who came before me, and uh, we trust that he will continue to uh, do well and preach the gospel. Pray for, for him and also for his family. We are thankful uh, to be a part of this preaching uh, ministry. I'm going to ask you tonight <clears throat> uh, to be with us as we look at Luke chapter 9 and verse number 62. And my subject is, are you fit uh, for the kingdom of God? And when we look at the subject naturally, none of us can just say that we are prepared or we are worthy. I think worthy is the word I'm looking for, uh, that we're worthy to be uh, in the kingdom of God or to be a part of God's kingdom. And so let's get right into the lesson to see what we can um, share uh, with you tonight. Now, in Luke 9, verse, in verse number 62, is where we will be shouting from uh, tonight. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of, of God. These are some wise words by the master. Uh, once you start uh, on this Christian journey, I think Jesus is saying, there's no reason for you to turn aside, to turn back, uh, to waste time uh, trying to see if you made the right choice. We need to know that when we come to God, we're making the right choice. We're stepping away uh, from our cohort, Satan, and therefore surrendering our lives uh, to the master. So uh, the Bible says in Luke 9 and at verse number 62, and Jesus said unto him, No man, 
having put his hand to the plow, preached Jesus, <laughs> and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is a warning to us. You know, so many start out in the right direction, and then they just, uh, for some unbeknown reason, they just turn aside from God and the things of God. And so Jesus is saying here that once you start, once you uh, make a move towards the kingdom, don't turn around and look back. Uh, don't even engage in conversations as to how good you had it when you were in the world because such nonsense can cause one to uh, turn away from God and lose uh, his uh, love for truth and righteousness. And so I think our Lord is warning us here. He said, well, that's not what that's not what you need to do. When we think of the words of Christ, listen to me now, a plowman looking back, a man that's uh, started in the right direction and then all of a sudden he starts looking back, a plowman looking back suggests, number one, that his affections for the kingdom of God are divided. Otherwise, you're not sure. Why am I on this road? One might tend to ask himself. Will I not have to give up too much to travel the road with Christ? I'm giving up all of my pleasures and 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 uh, sins and temptations, uh, you see, the lust of the flesh and all of this. See, when you start looking at it like that, that makes it very easy for Satan to invade your life uh, and to lead you astray. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow. The Bible says, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We're just not fit for God's kingdom. And 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 so we, we just need to understand that what the Lord is offering us, is better than what the world could ever give us. Man, this is something that you really, you have to work at this thing, you see. And so Jesus just told him straight out, you're either for me or you're for Satan. Uh, if you want to be a Christian, then you need to come and follow me. Otherwise, you're going to have divided affections. Now, the Bible says, look in uh, Matthew chapter 8, 
and verse number 24. And you know, when I preach, I, I, I really like using the Bible and talking about what the Bible says rather than what I think or believe or how I feel. You know, I, it's just so much easier to follow the Bible. In Matthew chapter 8 and uh, verse number 24, here the Bible says, uh, it's not really Matthew, it's, it's Mark. I wrote that down wrong the other day, <laughs> and I had to look for it. <laughs> Uh, but in Mark chapter nine, Mark chapter eight, and verse twenty-four, uh, we can find uh, these words. And he looked up and said, "I see men as trees walking." Now Jesus healed a blind man at Bethsaida, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. They wanted Christ to heal this man. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw all. In other words, what do you see? And this man said in verse 24 of Mark 8, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. <laughs> that's what he said. And, and so this, this gentleman really could not uh, distinguish uh, really what he saw. He, whatever he saw, it wasn't clear. And, and so as we look uh, in the word of of God and and try to understand what is being taught. The man said, I see men as trees. <laughs> That's what I see. He said, I see them walking. I see men walking, but see them so indistinctly that but for the motion I could not distinguish them from trees. I cannot distinctly see their shapes and features. Probably here, our Lord did not at once restore his sight fully or altogether because God wanted him to have faith in him and to have his faith strengthened. And so we see that Jesus partially restored his sight. This was evidence that he could wholly and completely restore sight to the eyes of the man. Christ wanted this man to exercise faith in him. And Christ wanted this man to more strikingly uh, learn to depend uh, on him and to exercise uh, his faith in the Son of God. Remember what happened in uh, Luke 17 and verse number 32? The Bible says, remember Lot's wife. I don't know what happened to her. 
she was told not to look back, and she looked back. Jesus said, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. She created a lot of problems for her family because she looked back. See, sometimes sin can get such a strong hold on the people of God that it's almost impossible to turn loose. And it seemed like Lot's wife was in that particular way. And and so Luke says to his uh, believers, remember Lot's wife. He wanted them to remember her because they were not to continue to look back. You can't drive straight if you're looking back. Man, you don't know where you're going. You might run over somebody. And so once you start a Christian walk with the Lord, uh, you need to continue in that way. There was a young man in Paul's day. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verse number 10. Uh, Paul talked about him because he did not continue in the way of God. You have to really make up your mind that this is what you want. Because if you don't have your mind made up, the devil will come in and take you out of the kingdom, out of the church, out of the way of God, out of Christianity. Jesus said, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God, because that shows that your mind is not made up. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 10, Paul had some issues. Uh, with a young man because he didn't have his mind made up. And so the Bible says, listen to him now. It says, for Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having love this present word. See, if you're constantly, constantly looking back, trying to evaluate what you got now and what you had then, and, 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 you know, the devil always causes us to look at what's going on in our life in a very fleshly way. People say, well, I had more friends when I was out, out in the world. I, I, I did a lot of more things uh, with people then. And nobody likes me now. Why? Because I'm a Christian. The pull of the world was so strong upon Demas that Demas could not let go. He gave up Christianity. He gave up the Lord. He gave up the Lord's church, the way of God, because of his love for the world. And you know, really, when you look into the church today, it's sad to say this, but there are so many that are just loving the world. I, my, my daily prayer to God is, Lord, help me to love you more than I love the world. 
Because if you don't pray that prayer, and if you don't live that prayer, Satan is going to take you out of the church. You're going to lose your soul. Paul said, yes, I used to have some people with me. And sometimes people say, well, you know, the preacher is running all the members off. The preacher is not running the members off. The preacher is telling the truth. And there are people that love the world more than they love God, more than they love Christ, more than they love the way of God. And listen, people are going to go where their heart is. If their heart is not with God, they're not going to stay. They may stay for a minute, but they're not going to be in there for the long haul. They're going to unleash that burden and get back into the world. I don't know why we can't see that. You don't have to blame the preacher for that. It's, these are people who love the world more than they love God. And when it's like that, they're going to go back into the world. But Demas has forsaken me. The Bible says, having loved this present world. And so if you have divided affections, if you love God and you love the world, the Bible says come out of the world. You can't have both. You can't have it both ways. As so God is saying uh, to us that we have to give up the world, if we want to be serious about this Christian journey. A second point that I want to make about the man that put his hand to the plow and looks back is this. Secondly, you don't have your mind made up. See, see, when, when, when we're looking back, you want to really be back there. You say, well, 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 well I'm, I'm, I'm in the church. I go to church, and, and I love what I'm doing, but I also love that old life. Man, you can't serve Christ with a double mind. Preach, Brother Johnson. Look at James chapter 4 and verse number 8. James chapter 4. And verse number eight, the Bible says, the Bible says, oh, yes, the Bible says, listen to him now. He says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's what the Bible says. You can't have it both ways. And so James is saying to uh, the Christians here, get close to God. If you want to get out of the world, then you have to get close to God. You cannot see how close 
that you can walk in sin and still Christian. You're not going to be that long. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. The devil is going to topple you. Man, you're going to fall flat on your face. If you have a problem with drink, if you have a problem with alcoholic beverages, and you say, well, I don't go to the club to drink. I just go to watch the other people drink. <laughs> That's what you're telling yourself. And 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 so you, you, you continue to go to the club, and you watch other people drink. Sooner or later, you're going to have one. Man, you don't need to be in that club at night, daytime either. You need to be in your Bible, studying the Word of God. God will help you, but you got to help yourself. Preach, Brother Johnson. I'm doing it. <laughs> See, the Bible, the Bible says, draw nigh, and that word nigh means near. Get near God. Stay near God. Mm-hmm. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't make people stay in the church if they don't want to be in the church. People say, well, we're losing our young people. That's right. We are. And it's sad. A lot of them you can't even get to come to church, don't even talk about Bible study. They don't have time for that. Adults are the same way. Some people been in the church for years and years and years and can't spend an hour a week in Bible study because you have not conditioned yourself to do that. How can you lead the world to Christ when you are as wicked as the world is? How can you make changes and show that you have changed your life when you're no better than the world? You have made your choice. And it's not a good one. And so the Bible says that uh, we need to draw nigh to God. See, if you don't have your mind made up, you're not going to draw close to God. You're going to want to stay in the world, work in the world, live in the world, and do what the world is doing. That's what you're going to, that's what you're going to want to do. And that's what you're going to do. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? What did Paul say to the Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Priest Johnson, and verse number 58, man, it's hard today to get people to do the right thing. Because so many love the world, they just would not give up the world. Now, Paul said to the Corinthians, listen to him. 
He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You can't work for Satan and then work for God. Work a half a day for yourself and a half a day for someone else. But then you want to get paid for the whole day. You can't do that. You can't work a half a day for God and, and, and spend the rest of the time working for Satan. I don't even have to tell you. You know that ain't right. And if you live that type of life, it's because your mind is misleading you. You think that you can do wrong and good is going to come of it. You can't do that. It takes your mind, your body, your soul. It takes every part of you to serve the Lord if you want to get to heaven. And then thirdly, when we talk about no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back. Thirdly, I want to suggest that we really have a lack of faith and trust in God when you're looking back. God has enough work for you to do to keep you in his care. But you have to want to stay there. Look at what the Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all of thy ways acknowledge him and God shall direct thy path. You cannot be committed to the Lord if you're not trusting in God. You have to trust him every day. You have to walk in God's way every day, all of the time, all day long, all night long. In the way of the Lord. Jesus said the other day in Matthew 6 and verse number 33. Our Lord said, uh, as we look at uh, these words, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek God. Seek God first. So many people are going to lose their souls because they're out here playing around. They're out here not being serious about it. You got to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And our Lord said that all these things shall be added unto you. Take Therefore, no thought for the morrow, 
the Bible says, uh, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Listen, we need to recognize and understand that everything that you need, God will supply. I didn't say everything you want. Food and clothing and 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 uh, housing and things like that. We are told that if we put God first in our lives, that God will provide those things for us. Some people are pure workaholics, and they have no time for the Lord. All they have time to do is work. I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my mortgage. I got to have food in the refrigerator and in the freezer. Yeah, but what order are you following in order to get those things? Jesus did not say, fit me in as you are striving to be a servant in the kingdom of God. He didn't say that. He said, put me first. The order is God must be first in your life. God will have nothing to do with you. So many people are not doing that. They're out here doing just what they want to do. And so what we're doing is following the way of the world and the way of the materialists. We leave the church bare. We leave the church empty today to follow after worldly pursuits. We got to go golfing. We got to go fishing. We got to go to the ball games. No time for the Lord. All our time is spent on ourselves. And some of us, some of us like just like God can't see. And that God doesn't know what he's doing. He does. And even when it comes to work, some people are pure workaholics. They never take any time out for the Lord. How do you expect to get to heaven if you don't take time off for God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who do you think created the world? It was God. Who made, who made man? God did. Who breathed into man the breath of life? God did. So we spend all of our time for ourselves. We have no time for the Lord. May God help us. May God help us. Let me keep up with my time here. <laughs> the preacher like it when he has time. Thank you, Steve. Steve gave me a lot of time. And so what I'm telling you tonight, you need to order your life so that the things that God 
asked of you to do will get done. That's what you need to do. See? It's not my, listen, I cannot preach the gospel if I'm not where the people are. I have to stay in the church so I can teach the gospel. The devil works on all of us. I'm not responsible for you being where you are because you refuse to fight the good fight of faith. You got to save yourself and take care of the soul that God entrusted you with. Back to the plow. Some of us are so slowful in the Lord's work. We'll spend all day doing the things that we want to do, doing the things that man uh, have designed for us to do, doing the things that pleasure us. Can't stay in church or Bible class 45 minutes, an hour. We can't stay. We got somewhere to go. He's taking too much time. Well, you're not saying that when you're out there doing the things that you want to do. Some of us are slowful in the work that God has given into our hands to do. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 11, not slowful in business. <laughs> it takes us too long sometimes to do the things that God wants us to do. The Bible says we're being slothful. Some of it is laziness. Some of it is, uh, you know, we just don't want to get it done. We're not supposed to be slothful. And so the Bible says in Titus 2 and verse number 14, Titus 2 and verse number 14, the Bible says, who gave himself for us. Come on, Johnson, <laughs> that we might, uh, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Preach, son. Purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what the church needs to be doing. We need to be doing some good works in the kingdom of God. And Proverbs 18 and verse uh, number 9, the Bible says he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him <coughs> that is a great waster. That's what some of us do. We waste time. We're good at that. We waste resources. We're not fruitful as we need to be. So keep your hand on the plow. 
and don't let it go. And then the Bible says that we're not to engage in foolishness. You you can't go to heaven engaging in foolishness. What you talking about, Johnson? Well, I'm fixing to show you. I'm fixing to show you. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. And verse number 24, Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sins of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. You got to have a solid foundation in this world. And everyone that hears these sins of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell. And the Bible says great was the fall of it. Foolishness. How are you going to build a house upon sand? A weak foundation is not going to be able to stand. See? You cannot build a house on a flimsy foundation and expect that house to stand because it will not. When it comes to the religion of Christ, you cannot accept the religious teachings of men and think that God is responsible for saving you. God will not save you based on the doctrines and the commandments of men. That's foolishness. You can't go to heaven engaging in foolishness. Let me show you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 13. And 14, our Lord said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in there. There will be a lot of people that will be lost, because their religious foundation is not strong, and it will not hold. It will not hold. And then the Bible further says in verse 14 of Matthew 7, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And the Bible says few there be that findeth, and only few are going to be saved. Everybody is not going to be saved. You need to make sure that your foundation is a sure foundation, a safe foundation, a foundation that God ordered. When it comes to the church today, people say, well, all churches uh, are right, and it doesn't matter which one you become a member of. That's not taught in the Bible. That's what men say. That is a weak foundation when it comes to religion. People say, yeah, but so many people uh, believe that it can't be wrong. It 
is wrong and it can be wrong because that is not taught in the Bible. The Lord did not build many churches. He built one. We don't have strong teaching like this today. We don't hear it because the people are so weak, they don't want to hear it, and the preachers preach for money today, and they are afraid to say the things that are in the Bible. I'm going to say what's in the Bible because that's right. And when I pillow my head at night, I don't have any problem going to sleep because I told you what the Bible says. I can't make you do it. But if your religion, if your church, if your religious way is not in the Bible, it is like building on flimsy foundations. And you can't be saved in something that Jesus did not build. He said, upon this rock, listen to him, he didn't build on a flimsy foundation upon this rock. What rock? Peter said that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He built his church. It's the church of Christ. It's not the Baptist church. It's not Catholicism. It's not Presbyterianism. It is not Lutheranism. Christ built none of those. But he did say, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm trying to tell you, tonight you need to listen to the Lord and submit your life to him. My time is almost gone, so let me just run on down the road to my conclusion. And I will say this. When you put your hands on the plow, there is no fear of the future. Why? Because you are building on a solid foundation. Jesus said in Revelation 21 and verse number 8, the Bible teaches very clearly there uh, that we, the people of God, we need to know God. We need to know his will. We need to know his ways. We need to know what truth is. And so the Bible says in Revelation 21, 8, listen, but the fearful and unbelief, people say, you can tell people what the Bible says and they'll tell you, well, I don't believe that. Well, if you don't believe what the Bible says and it's right there in the Bible and people are quoting from the Bible, and you said you don't believe what the Bible says, then what you are saying is you don't believe God because God gave the Bible. So when you are fearful of accepting the teachings of Christ, 
The Bible says the fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. When you do right, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse number 28, listen to him. Listen to what the Bible says. And the Bible says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There is a hell. You don't want to go there. That's why I'm trying to help you to begin your trek with God and put your hands on the gospel ply and let them stay there. I want to say this as I close. All through uh, the Bible, the word of God, if you do what's right, God says, He'll take care of you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. The Bible says, be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Put your hands on the gospel ply. Keep your hands on the gospel ply. Be religiously correct and right and live your life for the Lord. He's coming back one day to take you to heaven. Those of you who are visiting with us, please hit the like button and uh, we'll know that you were there. I have concluded my lesson. For this session, I want to thank you for listening. I pray, God, that you'll put your hand on the gospel plow and just let it stay there until Jesus comes. He's coming back one day for those who love him and believe him. I want to tell you to be a Christian. You must believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 3, 16. You need to repent of your sins. Luke 13, 3, you need to confess the Savior as the Son of God, and you need to get baptized in water for the remission of your sins. That's taught in the Bible. Acts 2, 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of of your sins. Keep your hands on the gospel plow. To those of you who are being challenged, keep your hands on the gospel plow. To those of you who are being persecuted, keep your hands on the gospel plow. God will rescue you and take care of you. Thank you so much for listening tonight. Thank you for being a part of this service, uh, this study. May God bless you and be with you. Thank you, Stevie for allowing me to teach the Word of God tonight. Have a wonderful evening, and may God richly bless you. God is good.
God is good. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Lord, you know I need you.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for tuning into our radio broadcast, and we certainly appreciate those who've been following our radio show on Blog Talk Radio as well as on social media, Facebook Live. I want to thank my co-host, Slim McMillian, for his lesson, The Divinity of Christ, The Divinity of Christ, and also my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, for his lesson, Are You Fit for the Kingdom of God? Ladies and gentlemen, my co-hosts always do a great job on this broadcast when they proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am just so proud of the effort that is being rendered here on this radio broadcast every week. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just so thrilled to bring you a weekly program. It's our prayer that the lessons that were given on this radio show have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord's been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio broadcast, but you're giving yourself over to a study of God's Word. I'm your host, Stephen R. Butler, and I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm not ashamed to live for Jesus. It's the best life, that's for sure. I'm not ashamed to defend his name, because he died for mine and yours. The only way I think it ought to be But 
between now and if it's wrong or right So don't judge us by what you see on the news at night They quick to say a rapper been shot down It ain't the rapper putting them six feet in the ground It's the life they live The killers be killers that make the whole rapper same thing hell We started rapping just to say so And bring some folks Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You've been listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show, episode 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.